0: Brothers and sisters, we are working our way again through the book of James. This evening we will be looking at chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. That is chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. This is God's holy and inerrant word, so as always, let us give careful attention to it as it is being read. The word of God. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, our Heavenly Father, this is your word. This is the means of grace that you have chosen to to grow us into the image of our Lord and our Savior. So we pray that now as we read your word, as we hear your word, your preach word, that you would indeed go about the business of molding and shaping us into his image. Equip us, we pray, so that we would be vessels that represent you well in our spheres of influence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On New Year's Eve, this past New Year's Eve, A manager in training at a McDonald's in North Carolina complained to her husband that the employees at her work site were disrespecting her. Now according to the police report, the husband went then to the job and while he was there he allegedly heard one of the male employees speak to his wife in what he deemed to be a disrespectful manner. And at this point, the husband became enraged and and went behind the counter, the McDonald's counter, and and grabbed the man by his neck, pushed the man towards uh, one of the deep friars and commenced to punch him in his face, resulting in the employee sustaining a swollen eye and a forehead. Sadly, this type of uncommon, this is not uncommon in the America that we live in right now. But this particular incident, however, has an extra flavor of rot. You see, the husband is a 57 year old senior pastor of a church in North Carolina. I imagine it was because of that very fact that the incident garnered so much attention in the media. After initially, I mean, can you imagine Pastor Caleb at the McDonald's down here punching somebody? You know, I'm, you might see me, but not Caleb, a car, right? So, Anyhow, this, this man <coughs> did this, and after initially reading about it, I couldn't believe it. So I decided to look it up, and sure enough, I found at least eight sources that carried the same story. Some, like CBS, did so nationally. Pastor Dwayne Walden is now infamous for conduct unbecoming a Christian, and even more so a pastor who has as one of his qualifications for that office being well thought of by outsiders so that he might not fall into disgrace. I dare say that this pastor's actions were foolish on so many levels in the aftermath of that mess, you see. He was arrested. His wife, who was in training to be a manager, lost her job. And what can even be said about the Christians, about his Christian weakness in the community and the impact on his congregation? Now you might be saying, wow. That is crazy. I could never act out in that way, Dean. Never. My answer to that will be well, possible for you to engage in certain behaviors that are just as destructive as what he did. And the only difference is that your actions would be more insidious. You see, there's a reason that the Bible tells us to walk by the Spirit and we will not gratify the lust of the flesh. After Paul tells us that in Galatians 5, he goes on to list a host of characteristic behaviors that flow from fleshly living and thinking. You see, it goes together, thinking and living. For you see, that's, it's what flows from our thinking that results in our acting. Or as Proverbs 23:7 says, or puts it, for as he calculates in his soul, so is he. The King James Version where I initially learned that verse says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You see, I'm beyond sure that prior to acting out the way he did, this pastor was already thinking in his heart, ain't nobody going to disrespect my wife Ain't nobody going to respect what's mine. I got to show them. It was me, myself, and I some time ago. I talked about that. as a me, myself, and I syndrome that's focused on self. And thinking like that, the same rage then that's listed among the fleshly vices in Galatians 5. The same rage that grabbed hold of Cain in Genesis 4, 4 grabbed hold of that pastor and caused him to grab another man's neck. Now having said that, we're reminded that Paul went on to list the characteristics of one who is being guided by the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These virtues were contrasted against those that were indicative of being in the flesh with the concept of thinking thus producing being equally applicable. You live your life... Think in a certain way, brothers and sisters. You're going to produce the fruit of that way of thinking. One is earthly, the other is heavenly. One is spirit, one is flesh. In our passage, James then utilizes this same pattern. That is the use of contrast. His contrast is the way of heavenly wisdom versus earthly wisdom. His concern is that we would live our lives consistent with one who is being guided by the wisdom that comes from above. This so while being aware of and avoiding two vices or disposition that invariably do nothing but destroy. And so this evening I want you to see what James is saying to this effect under three headings. First, there's a call to walk in wisdom. Then there's an admonition against worldly wisdom And then there's an exposition on heavenly wisdom. So first, there's a call to walk in wisdom. James has just finished telling us about the danger of the human tongue, an instrument that often blesses God in one moment and then is found cursing that which was created in his image in the very next. It ought not be so, he said. Now, although the word wisdom is not found in the first 12 verses of this chapter, There is no doubt whatsoever that James' motive is in step with the writer of Proverbs 10.31, who wrote, The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. There's a call to be aware of the nature of the tongue, and thus the need to have it guided by wisdom. It should not then surprise us that he would immediately pivot to a call for wise and understanding living, followed by a description of the produce of earthly and heavenly wisdom. And thus we have verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now be reminded that this is the same man that said fate without works is dead. The man who implied that you can have all the knowledge You can believe in God all you want, but a failure to walk in alignment with that which you claim to know is a cause for great concern. We are to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Well, here when we understand that the word wise in this context means to skillfully apply the knowledge we have to practical living. And the word understanding carries the connotation of a professional or specialist who skillfully applies his or her expertise to practical situations. When we understand that fact, then we understand that James is still shouting from the rooftop, live out that which you claim to believe. You say that you believe that you are a sinner justly deserving the wrath of God. You say that you believe you were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that you were bought with a price and now being called to present yourself as a living sacrifice. You say that you believe that. You say that you've been called to a life of obedience as an ambassador representing the King of kings and Lord of lords. Then live in the light of what you say you believe. And do so in a manner that communicates Your understanding that there's nothing you could have done to merit so great a salvation. Nothing on your own that it would cause you to persevere and towards your salvation. No, instead, it is he who started a good work in you that will bring it to completion. Understanding that fact and walking in it, brothers and sisters, is akin to walking, to living in the meekness of wisdom. It communicates a a sense of godly dependence and the absence of arrogance. Brothers and sisters, this understanding that God is an equal opportunity God as it relates to the salvation of his elect is crucial to a life of humility and meekness. When a person truly understands that they are who they are as a result of God's providence and his sovereignty, then the gifts, that the gifts they have are from him and for him, that it's about him and rightfully so. Oftentimes, that oftentimes when they see others in a bad predicament, the most operative phrase in their mouth should be, there but for the grace of God go I. It is when one lives with that understanding and disposition that one can experientially identify with the words, he gives grace to the humble. James is saying as much here. You know how I know that? Because of the contrast he offers in his next section of of thought, which falls under our our second heading, an admonition against worldly wisdom. It's a direct contrast to what we just looked at. Look at verse 14 through 16. It reads... But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. A person who truly recognizes, understands, and accepts who they are and does so with an understanding that God is the one who blessed them to be that way, also understands the same things about others. God is the one who blessed them, the other person with their calling and their gifts. God is the one who has given them what they have. He is the one who wisely crafted, molded and shaped them into being who and what they are. And so when when what then should be our response? To a person like that when we see that. It should be to appreciate who that person is when we see a person doing well, when we see a person advancing. It should be to appreciate who they are, what they are, to appreciate their achievements and to support them in their kingdom endeavors. This is nothing short of what scriptures call us to. To give honor where honor is due, we're told. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice. When a person gets a promotion and they're so happy and glad about it and so on and so forth, we are supposed to be happy and glad with them. We should have also contributed to that as much as we could have. Now the opposite of this disposition invariably results in a violation of the 10th commandment, the law against coveting, that which another person has. James will immediately deal with that in the next chapter But for now, he highlights two of several sinful motives that are indicative of one operating through the grid of worldly wisdom. Jealousy and selfish ambition. In no uncertain terms... He tells his readers, if you decide to allow yourself to have issues with the prosperity and blessings of others, with the gift and calling of others, if you fail to recognize who it is that has given them what they have and to entertain a sense of ingratitude for what you have and who you are, which is by the way what started you down the road of jealousy to begin with, if you do that then don't go about boasting, bragging, and carrying on about any supposed connection to the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is not so. It is not that which comes from above, that which you're doing and the way that you're acting and the way that you're thinking. It is not what came from above. It is not from the Father of lights. No, what it is is taking the Lord's name in vain if you're operating in selfish ambition and jealousy. If it's all about you and you getting what you want, how you want it, and when you want it, if in your heart you are at the center of all things, and thus it is your only goal, your desires, only your goals, your desires, your wants, your selfish ambitions that matter, then do not defame the name of the Lord by claiming to be operating through and in the light of his gospel. Commenting on that disposition John MacArthur writes, those whose lives are based on and motivated by human ungodly wisdom are inevitably self-centered, living in a world in which their own personal ideas, desires, and standards are the measure of everything. Whatever and whoever served those ends is considered good and friendly. Whatever and whoever served those ends is considered bad and an enemy. Those who are engulfed in self-serving worldly wisdom resent anyone or anything that comes between them and their own objectives. Now, brothers and sisters, let me give you Exhibit 1 on what I just read. Look no further than many of the members of our United States Congress who claim to be Christian. They are, in fact, motivated by nothing more than a desire to have and to remain in power. It's primarily all about them and what they get. Every decision they make is accomplished by sticking their fingers up in the air and finding out what will benefit them. And today, if you're against what they hold to, the principles that they, policies that they want to push, they will call you anything and everything but a child of God. It is the height of selfish ambition on display. One person currently running for president said that he had involved, evolved in his thinking concerning same-sex marriage. He followed it up by saying, if the Pope says it's okay to bless same-sex union, then it must be okay. Brothers and sisters, time would fail me to talk about the instances I've seen or heard of in churches and households The two other spheres of governing authorities are where jealousy and ambition brought forth exactly what James said it would bring, disorder and every vile practice. Many abortions, for example, by any measure are tied to an ideology that women would assert themselves, should assert themselves as primary breadwinner. They can't be bothered with having children, because they have to be out in the workplace, they have to be advancing themselves They have to be about me, myself, and I. There is no distinction in roles, and thus climbing the corporate ladder is a be-all and an end-all. Self-realizing ambition is promoted. That is unless the woman asserts a desire to raise the next generation in the fear and discipline of the Lord. Unless she says that what her desire is, is to submit to her husband as unto the Lord. And the result? No order in the home no unity of purpose and everyone doing what is right in their own sight. And the result from that chaos of every kind, dysfunction, all you have to do is turn on the news and you'll see the kind of dysfunction that I'm talking about because people in general, including Christians in many circles, are operating in the kind of wisdom that destroys. James rightly describes it as earthly, unspiritual and demonic it is a course brothers and sisters that we were ourselves were set on the state that Paul described in Ephesians 2 where he writes that we were following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath in 1 Corinthians 16, thank God for his grace, we are told, and such were, past tense, some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. Like John Bunyan's Christian, we've been set on a path to glory. And now we've been called to Romans 12, too, to have a renewed mind, not to be conformed to the world and the world's wisdom, but to have a renewed mind that operates according to the wisdom that comes From above. And so that mind needs to hear and grasp what it looks like to walk in the newness of life. What it looks like to be walking in that which comes from above as opposed to that which is so prevalent all around us, continually warring against us through the flesh, the world, and the devil. James gives us that instruction here through what I've labeled an exposition on heavenly wisdom. Our third heaven. Look at verse 17. It reads, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. The wisdom that proceeds from the throne of God, the wisdom that is produced by the spirit who indwells us is one that has no shadiness about it. It's free of impurity. Impure motives, impure desires can be found nowhere around it. It is holy, set apart. It is centered on the things of God and a desire to please him. That is where we need to be. Centered on God and a desire to please him. It's peaceable. And as such, it does not go through selfishness. It does not through selfishness promote conflict and discord. Instead, it sometimes submits itself to dishonor and even abuse. Could you imagine what would have happened if that pastor had instead of just allowed that gentleman to say whatever he wanted to, just deal with it and continue to even befriend the person who spoke in those categories to his wife? Could you imagine, even if that person didn't come around, he would have still been acting in a manner that would have been honorable for all to see. His congregation then would have seen or heard the same thing. His wife could have moved on, but bridges would not have been broken. When you operate in God's wisdom, yes, you can be persecuted, but, all, but in other situations, God can definitely push you forward when you operate in his graces and in his wisdom. The wisdom that approached from the above is peaceable. It proceeds from the throne of God and it submits itself to abuse. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What if he had done that? What if we do that instead of looking to fight back? Why are you fighting so hard for something you cannot keep? For something that's not eternal and may only be a preference it asks. Wisdom asks that question. In this age of irrational thinking, you should know that heavenly wisdom grounded in objective truth is highly rational. We live in an age where you see all sorts of irrational thinking where, again, you know, a person says that they feel like a certain thing and so they are, are that thing. And so all this kind of stuff is going on. But that is not wisdom that's from above. That is carnal knowledge that's from below and it's demonic in its orientation again. So as Christians, we should not be influenced by that sort of wisdom. And again, because the knowledge of God's grace and goodness is ever before us, we are systems of mercy and good fruit. We are forgivers and as one scholar puts it, We demonstrate genuine faith by our authentic good works. I believe Dan Doriani encapsulates this well, writing, what James calls the wisdom that comes from heaven drives the excellent life. The wise demonstrate God's wisdom daily. They inspire others by giving them a living model of righteousness that incarnates the will of God. Their lives become models of righteousness. They become our heroes in the faith as they reflect the character of Christ. Again, you know what that causes me to think when I see this excellent life? The Proverbs 31 woman. And how she is a priceless gem. Her children rise up and her husband also and calls her blessed. Why? Because she is operating in the wisdom that the book of Proverbs says that we are to operate in. These, are, And as, as a result of all that, Verse 18 then comes into play. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I believe Isaiah 32, in in the original text, that's kind of hard to translate. And so you look at all these different scholars. I believe that Isaiah 32, 17 encapsulates it well, what James is saying here, writing, the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. As opposed to worldly wisdom, brothers and sisters, godly wisdom births a continuing cycle of righteousness. It produces harmony in both our vertical and horizontal relationships. It is the glue that holds all things together. As Proverbs 24.3 rightly states, by wisdom a house is built. Now, one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen in my life, and I'm talking about wisdom here and, and the operation, the application of wisdom versus selfless ambition, right? One of the greatest things that I've ever seen in my life and that I've heard so many people speak positively about and that when I mention it to others, they're like, whoa, is the transition of the senior pastor role in this church you have a pastor that was in leadership for 25 years or so more maybe I don't remember but that person turned the reign over stayed on board and that person could have been operating all kinds of selfish ambition that person could have been saying about the new person well that's not the way I did it and then members of the session could have been coming and saying well what does he think and, and causing those kind of discord because some session member wanted to then establish their name in the face of this new person. None of that happened. Instead, what you had is men of God who gave up no selfish ambition, but men of God who only had the will of God at heart. The desire to see God glorified. Both pastors, the session, and everything else. And as a result of that... You are now experiencing the fruit of what godly wisdom does. You yourselves are personally experiencing that very thing. So you see, as opposed then, brothers and sisters, in the light of all of this that we've seen, let us covenant within ourselves before our Lord that this is who we want to be, a people guided by heavenly wisdom, in the midst of a society that is walking in earthly wisdom, sensuous, let us walk in the light of God's word. Let us strive to hear from God's word. Let us move towards the things of God. And whenever we hear or see or discern those things that are not from above, let us reject them wholesale. Let us covenant within ourselves before our Lord that, it is, that this is what we want to be. A people guided by heavenly wisdom. Responding wisely to James' word by being mindful of Proverbs 9.10 that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of reverence. That is the root of the matter. Do you have the fear of the Lord? Do you reverence the God who created you? Do you recognize his sovereignty, that he is in fact all-knowing, ever-present, that he is in fact capable of all things and is worthy of your praise and, and your allegiance and your submission? Do we in fact recognize those things? Because if we recognize those things and we recognize that the God that we serve is indeed all-wise, all-knowing, and that His way is the true and better way. Why would we not walk with Him? Why would we not walk with Him? We should cry out to Him to lead us in paths of wisdom. We should cry out to Him whenever we feel tempted to walk aside from the things that He's called us to. We should immediately drop down and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. We pray that very thing. We say, Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. What if we were a people that said, Lord, not my will, but yours? Flood me with the wisdom that I need to live in the light of your word, to walk in the beauty of holiness. What if we were a people that refused to take anything else? but that and to serve God Christ did not die brothers and sisters just so that we can go to heaven but he died so that we can have abundant life and it starts now And abundant life does not mean money and and wealth and all this sort of stuff but abundant life is truly being connected to the one who created us In his image, for his purpose, glorifying him, enjoying him, loving him, being intimate with him. That is abundant life. And when we are walking like that, and we see through the lens that he sees, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. There is no better life that you can have. That is the kind of life that would enable you to sing while you're in prison. To be hung upside down and still be praising God. To be stoned and look into heaven and see the Lord standing. And you say forgive them for that they know not what they do. That is the life that comes to a person who runs after, who desires strongly the wisdom that comes from above. Let us be. That people, let us be that city on a hill. Let us be the shining light in the midst of darkness that will draw other men and women as they see a difference in the wisdom that we live in. Amen? Let's pray. Glorious Heavenly Father, We confess before you that we are often prone to live in the light of worldly wisdom. In our own households, we don't walk in the ways that you would call us to sometimes. We as husbands don't dwell with our wives according to understanding of you call us to. In 1 Peter 3.7, wives don't allow their conduct to win their husband. It's 1 Peter 3.1. Children don't obey their, their parents in the Lord, for this is right. So we might point fingers at the government, and civil government, but the governing body that you've given us is also out of order. And so we ask that you would give us your wisdom, your strength. Cause us to walk in the beauty of holiness in every sphere of influence to which you've called us. James has given us the knowledge. Now give us the right abilities to apply that knowledge, thus calling it wisdom. You are a good God. You've delivered us from darkness and into your light, and now you're conforming us to the image of our Lord. We thank you that you are doing just that. We thank you that we are not who we used to be, and we look forward to who we are going to be, and then to that day when we will stand face to face before you and hear, well done, You applied my wisdom and walked away from that which was worldly. Father, would you bless us now with a heart to think this way, to be this way, and to walk this way, all to the praise of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.